Hello, superheroes of the world, and welcome to season two of Superhero Academy's podcast, where we dissect what it takes for everyday superheroes that people like you and I can meet, people who are around the world right here and right now, and what it takes for them to make the world of a difference. And so today, we sat down with Sydney Woodward, who runs Overgrow the System. It is an amazing website and social media presence and Facebook pages and all that kind of stuff. And he is looking to inspire people to shift their lives, shift themselves and their culture, shift the world around them. And so we talk about a whole bunch of different things from crowdsourcing to um, the role that media plays in shifting culture, in shifting people's mindsets like you and I. And we go back and forth on just the importance of food, health, nutrition, and a whole lot more. So if you are interested in living a healthier life, then this is the episode for you. Make sure to click the links in the description to go and listen and watch and maybe subscribe and maybe, you know, like and comment and all that stuff. What would it take to make sustainability sexy? I'm not talking about sex appeal or half-naked models. I'm talking about the sort of mainstream acceptance that makes sustainability a topic worthy of the popular kids' table. I gave myself a challenge a couple years back to really try and understand what was happening to our planet, and I felt helpless at first. I now feel more motivated than ever to see us turn back the disasters that so many knowledgeable people are convinced are coming for us. The way things are, if everyone lived like the average American household, we would need close to five planets just to survive. But how do you get people to stop living in such unsustainable ways? Can we get everyone to trade their cars for horses and buggies? Mmm, no. I realized the solution was to create technology that would let people thrive in their modern lifestyles and protect the planet. How could that work? Well, you have to look at Wisdom Designs on buildyourwisdom.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Superhero Academy's podcast, hosted on the Valhalla Movement Network, but also Collective Evolution now, ladies and gentlemen. We are so happy today to have an amazing guest, somebody who I feel has been making some of the greatest looking videos out there when it comes to the movement of growing your own food. Today we've got Sydney Woodward from OvergrowTheSystem.com, a, a very popular Facebook page, lots of awesome videos, content, photos, all kinds of stuff literally coming uh, your way on seemingly all the social networks. And uh, thanks, Sydney, for being a, a guest on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about Overgrow the System. Tell me a little bit about your story, who you are. I mean, what, what, where did Overgrow the System come out of? Because, man, you are creating some amazing content regularly. And, uh, and just the quality of the videos, the, the amazing stuff that you're doing there uh, is, is kind of phenomenal. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of cool right now because I'm actually sitting at the farm. I've been on the farm for the last month that the whole project started from. Um, but before that, for a long time, I ran a network called the Grounded Media Network, and that was more focused on kind of art and art and culture with a little bit of social activism worked into it. Um, and I did that for about eight years almost. Mm -hmm. We're doing it in the days before you could do HD videos on YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice. 
anyways, yeah, way back in the day. But um, yeah, but about six years ago, I moved out to the White Crow Farm where I'm currently sitting and kind of finally kind of returned to my roots. I grew up on a farm on Vancouver Island and then, you know, kind of lost touch with that a little bit, moved to the city. And then, yeah, I moved to this farm and I kind of suddenly was with a bunch of young people who were all... It was like this amazing hybrid of like young people, music and art, but also people like who were living on the land and really like in tune with the, you know, the natural world around them. And I just got really inspired by it and kind of dedicated myself to telling the story of what was happening on this farm through media. And we launched a project called the, the White Crow Farm Project. And we did that for about a year and started traveling around with that and kind of eventually realized that like there's so many other farms out there that I wanted to tell the story of so we decided to expand out a little bit and to basically launch it as um overgrow the system overgrow the system actually originally was just a Facebook page mm-hmm. um and we wanted to use it as a, a forum to like support a bunch of other um a bunch of other amazing projects that were out there and just have like a really amazing source to share important content um but when that started doing really popular I decided, you know, this should be an actual project in itself. So we launched a website for it. And as, as soon as we made that shift from kind of, you know, really focusing on the one farm to multiple farms and projects around the world, it just really started to blow up for us. So, yeah, that's kind of been the gist of it. I've just been going with it ever since. Um, pretty much every few months I'll move to a new farm and just really use that, like tell the stories that are happening on that land. And, you know, we're doing various other projects right now. Like Overgrow the System is kind of like an umbrella organization kind of media network that we do a bunch of other like actual media projects in. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, a few of those, we have Free Range Child, which is kind of one of our more popular projects. <laughs> That's um, such a great name, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just really d- diving into kind of like, you know, the importance of the connection to nature and food systems for children um, and just looking at various, you know, alternative ways to raise children. For me, the number one inspiration is actually a lot of these farms I'm on, and it's just hanging out with the kids. Um, at White Crow Farm, there's Ren, who's kind of become the poster child. I've been hanging out with her for the last month, and yeah, just seeing the way that she interacts with the natural world when she's out with us, like in the garden or you know down at the river. It's just it's so amazing, and I see such a you know important connection there that I feel can be easily lost within uh, kind of the dominant society that we all exist within. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I also feel that like within myself, like I was really fortunate to be raised. Um, you know, I call myself a second generation hippie. <laughs> I have parents <laughs> nice. really, like it was really important for them to raise me in nature and like, you know, on land. And I see how that shaped my own life and how it really focused my energy into, you know, doing work that is going to like serve the natural world and, you know, hopefully start shifting the kind of dominant mindset that's out there about a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I feel if we start raising our children in a way that they become aware of these things. Like we're going to raise a generation of just like you know, powerhouse environmentalists who are really well balanced and you know really doing important work. So, yeah, for me it's just like that's a really important thing to really dive into and and tell that story. So, mm-hmm. um, so and besides that, we do we're starting to, another big thing we're trying to do right now is a lot more uh, outside of the digital realm projects. Um, kind of yeah, it's been really important for me to get people out into the real world and mm-hmm. communicating and meeting up people in the, with the communities. So one thing we started last two springs ago is the um, the Seed to Seed project, which is a big sailboat tour we do um, through the Gulf Islands. And basically, we bring a bunch of musicians with us. We rock up to all these islands, put on concerts, put on local food feasts with local, like, all food from the island. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, this year we're producing a documentary about that around the idea of resilience. Because one thing I've witnessed on these islands is, you know, there's such a high 
level. It's definitely not perfect. There's definitely still a definite petroleum-based uh, <laughs> reality that's going on for all of us. Of course. But still, like, there's the fundamentals of like a resilient system being built on a lot of these islands just out of one necessity because I think you know a lot of people realize like we're not going to have this oil for the rest of you know or too much longer. And you know, there's enough people who have that foresight to be like, okay, let's start putting in systems now that will like will be able to sustain us when we can no longer have these kind of you know, spoils of the natural world to keep us afloat. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the other big project we work on. So those are kind of the two main films, the Resilience film for Seed to Seed and then Free Orange Child. And both of those two, they have like blogs that we're constantly posting content through and um, kind of keep an ongoing story happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's in a gist what we're up to. So we also just, oh, sorry, really quick too. We just recently yeah. put on our first permaculture intensive um, on the White Crow Farm, which was really amazing. Oh, nice. Uh, and for me, it was cool, too, because we had a teacher, but it was I was the facilitator, so I actually got to, like, you know, guide conversations around various topics, and it was really cool. That, like our, our The idea of the course was to really focus on social permaculture, okay. um, like, kind of like the how do we actually all relate to each other, how can we all come together to, you know, really <laughs> pull ourselves up out of the situation that we were finding ourselves in. Um, but with that, too, it was also really sweet, because one, it was really amazing, it was actually out of the 20 students, it was almost all women except for two, three guys, Okay. which I found really amazing. It was like just this powerhouse of amazing women who were like, you know, I, I noticed that one thing within this movement right now, it's, it's really women who are taking it and running with it. And I think that's really amazing. Um, yeah, definitely. There's definitely that, a lot of women taking, taking yeah, yeah. on this movement for sure. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um, but with that too, the, the kind of conversations that came up too was also really amazing. One thing like um, all the students were settler descendants, so they're all, they're all white. And within that, it created such an amazing place to hold conversations around things like privilege and things like, um, you know, right relations with indigenous folk. Like, it just created a situation where people could be vulnerable within this this group. And, like, the work that was actually done in, com like, having conversations around, like, you know, kind of heavier topics around the stuff that, like, we really do need to talk about was really amazing. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, the social aspect, but then also talking, like, okay, how can we work and how can we be true allies to indigenous people uh, um, and then also getting into conversations around grief. Like that's another thing I've been really interested in lately is doing grief work and like, you know, how do we properly learn to grieve the destruction of the natural environment and how can we like not let that just like turn us into a puddle, but actually empower us in the actions that we do. And so, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, it was a really amazing experience for me. I'm still like on a high about it. Like it's just, we've talked about it. I get kind of excited again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, your passion for all of this clearly bleeds through in just your, 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 the tone of voice that you're bringing to this and, and to the explanation of such. I mean, I wonder, you know, beyond, obviously, you're, you're kind of being a second generation hippie, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the things that inspired you in your story earlier on as a child beyond having just grown up in a farm and having other people influence you? that made you reconnect again to this importance? Like, you know, for me, for example, I watched way too many documentaries. And I started to realize through documentaries two things. Number one, we were really, really, really destroying the planet. And in every single sense of the word, right? So I'd watch a documentary on like oil, I'd watch a documentary on water, I'd watch a documentary on the bees, whatever it was, it was always like, man, there's bad news after bad news after bad news. But the other thing I started to recognize, and this is something I talk less about, is I actually started to recognize the importance of media and the importance of a camera and the importance of pictures and videos and websites and blogs and, and just how much a camera can actually tell a story. And I believe that at the end of the day, marketing is nothing more than storytelling. And if you, 
if you can use the power of storytelling to promote kind of the good side of things, right? Like things like permaculture, things like growing your own food, things like basically everything that's overgrow the system stands for. Um, you're able to get people to be excited about it, right? Great, great images of a beautiful farm makes you want to visit the farm or makes you want to potentially own a farm or start your own farm or grow your own food. And, and I think you've tapped into that. And there's something about that kind of talent that you have that I think is is kind of resonating with people, allowed you to build this bigger Facebook page and now a blog and all this stuff. Um, but what do you think inspired you to kind of do this in this way? Like what, you know, is there like a catalyst moment, for example, that, that kind of struck you that you're like, man, I really need to do this? Yeah, well, I think this is something a lot of people can relate to is like, I don't know, I found like... My high school years, I got into a very like anarchist kind of mindset. Started realizing how kind of absolutely screwed things were, and it you know it's easy to get into a really dark mindset, and you get really you know you can get really negative about things, and that kind of lasted through you know my mid twenties. It was still there, and I was still kind of really angry about a lot of things. Like the more I was realizing about the world, just kind of the more angry I became. Um, you know, living in a city for me too didn't necessarily always help with that because you just, I feel most of the time are witnessing just kind of the more just debauchery of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I feel like one thing that started, started to help guide me in a bit better way, like I got into the whole kind of festival community and I started to see things that like, I'm like, okay, there's like, you know, there's people out there doing good work. They're kind of dropping the ball in some ways. They're not, you know, not always... (laughs) (laughs) acting in the most enlightened ways but at least like you know there's effort happening out there so that loosened me up a little bit I started seeing like a little bit more good in the world Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah no again like I have to shout out the White Crow Farm like it was like suddenly coming out here I was like oh my god like there's there is like a complete alternative and like there's a better way of being and then with that I kind of started seeing so much of the beauty and like I just shifted from seeing like just the negative to seeing like okay well there is a lot of beauty out there and we really do need to you know, start focusing on that and telling that story as much without ignoring the, because I feel like this is the problem that a lot of people make. They start seeing the beauty. They only want to like talk or experience or be in that beauty mm-hmm. or like, want to call it the light. Yeah. But with that, like if you're ignoring the dark, that's also almost equally as dangerous. Like I feel like you can either be in the, like purely in the dark, anger, frustration. <laughs> or, yeah. That's yeah. not good. You can be purely in the light, happy, joy, that's a little bit better in a way, but still not good. Like you need to find the balance of both of those. And that's actually what I've hopefully, I think I've been doing with a little bit with overgrow is like, you know, not just showing the beauty, but actually showing like, you know, there is some serious things we need, do need to talk about. Um, it's actually funny the, we've been shooting a film about the white crow farm for quite a while. It's, it's since I started living here, we have, it's, you know, it's an ongoing project and one of the farmers here is like, Sid, you just make it look too beautiful. Like we need to like actually share like the actual stuff that's here because it's like, as farmers, like, it's true, like, they're really struggling to make a buy, and it's just, like, it's not easy, but, like, the films I make actually make it look like it's this idealistic, beautiful situation when really the farmers are struggling, so we're, like, in this mind, like, place right now, we're, we're trying to figure out how can we also... How do you show both sides? Show that struggle as well. Yeah. That's really going to be coming through with the interviews we do and stuff, which will, you know, will be happening soon, but, um... Yeah. But, yeah, they- really, that, that, it really just comes down to, like, you know, shifting out of just being in that really dark mindset that like humans are the cancer of the world and that like, well, like, you know, through permaculture and various things, like humans can also be like, you know, I don't want to say the world, of the world but yeah. they, they can like, they can do so much to like add to nature and make it even more resilient and even more um, 
plentiful. So it's just really shifting the mindset really of like, you know, what humans role are on this planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can still totally understand why so many people think we're a cancer cell, but it's just like, you know, there is other alternatives. And it's, it, it's interesting with overgrow, like just a lot of the comments that come up on the page, like, you know, a lot of people are still really in that mindset that like humans just need to go away. And it's just like, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. I can understand why you feel that way. It's like, but I've seen enough now to like, know like that's not, you know, solutions are out there. Yeah, there are solutions. It just, it isn't, it doesn't have to be the truth. It's a, it's a, it's a tough reality though. Right. I mean, I, I think a lot of the solutions are, uh, and, and I guess you're, you're pointing to, and I, and I very much agree that there's a lot of solutions that come from the elements of farming and connecting back to nature. Right. It's just a big piece of what we need to do. And, because if we connect back to nature, we will respect it more, we will pillage it less, and we will do everything possible, essentially, to um, to kind of not have the natural ecosystems around us be destroyed by any outside force of any kind, be it any version of greed or whatever it might be. Yeah. But the flip side of that is that farming is fucking hard, right? <laughs> farming is, like, really not easy at all, and it really requires an enormous amount of effort and there are all kinds of factors, including Mother Nature herself, right, and, and the kind of ecosystems around that can lead to an enormous amount of problems, right? Whether it be droughts or whether it be uh, some big natural storm of some kind that ruins some crops. Like, it's a pretty, I don't want to say it's a risky life because there's, I mean, I think there's many riskier things out there. But I think there's, it's a, it's a tougher life. It's a tougher existence. And it's also a tougher existence because in our current system and paradigm, we just kind of don't really respect farmers in a weird way. We don't give them a lot of money. We, we're, we're so spoiled with cheap food everywhere we go that farmers have such a hard time. Like, you know, it takes months and months and months to grow a tomato. Uh, and yet we sell it for like, what, a couple of a couple of pennies, realistically? Like, yeah. you know, how much can a farmer truthfully make off any one tomato? But it, yet it takes months and months of work. And so the amount and so then it comes down to an element of scale right and and so how big of a farm can you make and and if you can grow more then you can make more and and that's where we kind of went down this whole road of of gmo corn and soya and all these things is because the the fact is that to make a farm kind of fully you know operational make a lot of money at the end of the day you you know to be able to sustain a family or even a small tribe of people it requires an enormous amount of labor, which is just less attractive to people nowadays. Like, would you agree with that? Like, would you agree that? So I think I love this I, the idea. I love the idea of like, okay, there's there's two things going on here. I'm making the most beautiful videos that attract people to the farm. But then I also have to show the, the side of like the fact that people are struggling as farmers. And we have to be real about that, right? Because as I've learned about permaculture and all these things, so many people tell me like, and I've seen it kind of happen, and I'm kind of seeing it myself now through my own experience, having planted and, and you know continuously working on this on this eco site, uh, this, this permaculture farm that we're we're doing here at Valhalla. The concept of there is a more money in teaching permaculture than there actually is in practicing permaculture. Does that make sense? Like, so yeah, it's yeah. it's actually harder to make a, a living and earn a, a wage in today's society, actually just growing things in a permaculture way versus the actual teaching of the skill itself which is kind of i mean that's that's you know it's tough that's a tough thing it means you know if we all if eventually everyone knew it 
what would we be making the money off of? Now, I guess the other side of things is if everyone knew it, we'd also be living very different lives and the world and the economy would have shifted because that would have changed the current existence and paradigm, right? Yeah. How do you yeah, how do you I, feel I about that? Few, I definitely have a few thoughts on this. And this actually kind of leads into some of my more like my not so um you know, it honestly goes into a bit of my, my darker, I don't even want to say darker things, but more like, you know, brutally honest views on things. Of course. And uh, uh, who's the guy from Deep Green Resistance again? Um, uh, oh. um, I'll link it below, but don't worry. Yeah, just keep you, know the, you know the guy, though. Yeah, yeah I know like, you're talking about. Like, he goes and, like, he rips things apart, and, you know, and he doesn't really have a, a shiny viewpoint on everything. And, you know, at the time, I'm actually like, yeah, I actually have to say I agree with a lot of the things he says. And, and really, when it comes down for me, like, the one thing I do recognize is, you know, we've had this entire system created on a very artificial foundation of oil. It's mm-hmm. just like the system that is it's slowly going away. And there's really like, you know, there's all these renewable resource, renewable energy sources. They can do, you know, a decent amount to soften the eventual collapse that's coming. But it's just, I think we're coming for, there is eventually going to be a big collapse coming. I think we have to face that like there is going to be really unsteady times ahead. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I look at all this a little bit differently. I look at this as like all these people doing this work right now and having a hard time struggling to get by. It's like, yes, that's a struggle right now. But all these people are putting their time and energy into building these skills. They are going to like within, I think, our lifetime personally, mm-hmm. I think they are going to become like, they're going to be brought up to like the level of friggin' athletes, like famous athletes or famous rock stars because they're going to be the ones who are actually going to be able to like sustain the communities around them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that makes like, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting to think like, it's like, you know, is that me like being like, oh, like, yeah, we need a collapse. And like, that's, I realized with that, like, that's definitely not easy. That's going to be a lot of suffering. But at the same time, it's like, if we don't have that collapse, we are going to just continue on this destruction of the natural world. And it's just going to be like, I don't know. And, it, and this is like, where I was saying it's this scary. even gives me, you know, exactly. And it gives me like shivers saying it because it's not an easy thing. And it's not comfortable. But I think like, we also have to, realize that it's like i don't know and yeah it's it's scary it's and it's weird and like i, I know exactly too, what like, you mean stuff i'm still coming to terms with i'm still thinking about so i like a yeah. lot of this stuff like just so everyone knows like i'm still very in my process of working through a lot of this stuff so i think you know, we all are even this could change like yeah we all are like, and i think it's road, impossible but... for us to know what's going to happen right and but exactly. what but what i can tell you is and, and or at least what i can agree with is that i feel the same way um yeah. you know many many people come up to us uh, at valhalla and they say you know, is this a solution? Like, do you have hope that we're we're going to fix all of this stuff? And I said, well, I don't know what you mean by fix all of this stuff because I don't think we can reverse some of the damage that we've done in our lifetime necessarily. Mm-hmm. The question is, can we avoid disasters? That's, I think, what you're asking me. And exactly. my, my, you know, and that's when, when people say that and ask that question. And my, my answer at that moment is, to be honest, I, I really believe we're going hit, to hit that brick wall. I really mm-hmm. believe we are going to have some version of a collapse, some version of a financial system meltdown, whether it be caused by the environmental factors of like, you know, we've been pillaging the planet and we're running out of resources, or whether it just be like, hey, this whole game is just a game, realistically, right? Like the world's biggest religion is money. It's backed by nothing. It's just a piece of paper. We all agree to it. And and for some reason, it's working. And, and it's literally order out of chaos. It's like the pure anarchistic dream in a weird way. And I, I, ironically, it's almost like the anarchistic nightmare as well, because it's exactly what kind of the system, if you will, that the anarchists would surely love to, to, to tear down, in a sense, <laughs> which, is, which is ironic. But it's, cause it's, but it's actually working. It's weird. 
It's working yeah. and working in the sense that it's like it's flowing, right? It's not working necessarily in terms of the environment, but it's working because it's flowing. And mm-hmm. and I think we have to hit that wall. I think we have to hit that wall because we are too stupid to learn from history. We are too stupid as 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 human <laughs> beings, not just me and you, but anybody. Like the our species as a whole, we just do not truthfully learn from our mistakes and we make them over and over and over again and we've done this in history a million times over right mm-hmm. how many how many societies literally like like the 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 rapa nui right on easter island cut down all the trees on their island before they realized that they needed the trees and then boom <laughs> pretty much vanished right i mean small segments of, of their population survived but for the most part they vanished and yeah this happened with the mines. This happens with like every kind of society that has risen to some level of, of, of amazing uh, achievement and, and power of some kind has come down back to its knees due to some of the environmental collapses that we've created. And it's just, it's seemingly like we're in that story again. And the only thing I can say now is that I don't believe that we've ever been in a, in a, in a speed like we are today. You know the speed, world is yeah. The world speed, is going we've, all, we've also like greatly weakened ourselves with losing so much of like the fundamental knowledge. Like if you look, there's so much like fundamental knowledge that's held for like say the last ten thousand years of just like how to exist within the natural world without having an input of oil or this power source. So now it's like so much of those skills. I don't want to say they've been lost. They're obviously still there in many ways. Yes. Um, but on like a large scale, they have been like you know most people like, you go and like can they build a house? Can they do simple like these no simple idea. things to get by. Yeah. They have no idea. So it's like the reality, it's like, so, I don't know, it's just, yeah, it gets like in a, a challenging space. It is. Where it's like technology, we've been so dependent on technology and don't worry, like, I don't get me wrong, like, I love technology, it allows me to reach millions of people. I mean, but, look, at, look at this, look at the podcast, right? Look at everything <laughs> exactly. we do, look at the cameras, look at everything. I mean, we clearly love technology in so many ways, but yeah. y- like you said, it, it, it's such a, um, we've disconnected. We've yeah. disconnected and we've reconnected in this space, and, and I think the power of the internet is allowing information to flow like it never would have before, right? So I can learn about what you're doing all the way out in the West Coast, even though I'm here in the East Coast, and that's incredible in so many ways. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's one thing I really like doing lately is like, you know, what are what are things I, like me personally or you think that people can do to like start to shift themselves to being in a place where they can actually like provide or be like you know, a resource for their, their community, their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just actually had a good laugh. I was, uh, I just got my first, uh, blacksmithing forge. Okay. So when talking yeah. about technology, it's hilarious. I was just on Pinterest searching <laughs> blacksmithing and I'm going through, I'm like, Oh my God, there's like the most amazing resource of knowledge here. So I'm like saving all these, like these pins of like how to, you know, how to temper your knife or and all these different things. So, like there's like, just a funny example of like technology when it can actually serve and of all things, Pinterest, which is kind of just makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like no, what are the things that people can do to like kind of shift start that shift in their life? And one for me is like start learning, you know, um what is it, the whole reskilling idea, like learn more like earth skills, learn how to like, you know, for me right now it's blacksmithing. I'm really that's something I really am going head into first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, simple things like carpentry, simple like hands-on skills I think are the number one thing if if you want to start shifting your life to like you know, being in service to the bigger picture. I think that's the number one thing is just start learning hands, like learning skills that you can do with your hands. I, yeah. Um, I you know, especially as a filmmaker, I'm like such a, a filmmaker in the digital realm. Like so much of my work is in the digital realm. And like, it's been like that for, you know, most of my twenties, I'm just turned 29. So now it's like, okay, no, like my thirties, I'm dedicating to like 
mastering some hands-on skills that like you know so i have something i can offer my community so i can really be like show up in a, in a good way mm-hmm. um yeah and and your and your digital skills are very useful i'm sure to many 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 farmers and all these people who don't have these skills and who haven't been able to get their story out and therefore they struggle right yeah and and you know, like Valhalla is ironically, it's like we are one of the. I I, I wouldn't say that we're a great farm yet. You know what I mean? It's we, we're just year three. We're working on planting stuff. We're we're restoring the soil after a GMO corn onslaught. Uh, you know that that had taken over our land uh, and that and in the land that we have started on. And we're just learning, right? We're practicing. We're learning those hard skills as we go. I had never planted a tree or never done any of these things in my life, and here I am, kind of you know, touring a permaculture site weekly, right? Every single week we go out there and there's new people who come and we give them a tour and we talk to them about permaculture and we talk to them about eco, you know, eco construction and all this kind of stuff. And I agree with the idea of like, okay, retool your yourself, reskill, you know, relearn some new skills, some skills that are kind of more tangible and grounded in the things, uh, you know, maybe more so in our past, I guess. Um, but that aren't just so digital and, and kind of useless. Like, being a social media manager has never been important ever in history. Uh, <laughs> and I could still argue that maybe it's not. And yet it's such a huge job, right? It's like posting on Facebook all the time is a huge source of getting traffic. And uh, getting traffic helps you make money and get and change culture and all that stuff. So it's an amazing tool. But at the same time, it's all it's doing is perpetuating the fact that everyone's sitting on, the, on their phones and, and laptops looking at the solutions but not actually participating in the solutions right? yeah no and that that kind of realization for me really came down to like i mentioned before like really shifting you know overgrow from being just an online thing to being an actual real world mm-hmm. um the whole thing like creating real real world action has been huge for me and like yeah like we're trying to find as many different ways like how do you get people from that action to being like taking a step out of from their computer and you know putting something into action um, and that's something, yeah, I don't know if anyone's out there, feel free to message us if you have ideas, but I feel, yeah, <laughs> like our, our sailboat tour, getting people out in person, like we even want to start doing like a screening tour where we take all of our, our short films and maybe have like an art, a musician come along with us mm-hmm. and do a tour and go into communities and like have a night of films and music and just like, you know, and also dialogue, like have people have a, a conversation afterwards. Um, you know, just an example from at the C2C tour, I don't know if you know Rising Appalachia, like the, the yeah. band. Yeah, yeah, So I was really fortunate. They played Shambhala the weekend, the week before um, our, our, our permaculture course and they're old friends of mine. We had them come out to the farm. And so we had this amazing day of like, we had sat down for like 45 minute long conversation and just like having like a, a conversation in person where you have like a, your community in front of you and you can like create a two-way conversation and just like the power of that Instead of just having it be like, oh, you watch an interview with someone online, like it's, but also like that online interview can reach millions of people, but like the power it has within that like 40 people who are sitting there having that conversation, like, you know, hands down, there's like way more important stuff happening with that in-person dialogue. And, you know, you also get to like connect with your neighbor who you might not know is into something that you're into. And, you know, just the, the amount of like community growth that happens within that. But at the same time, I totally recognize the power of like, you know, being able to suddenly have that same interview reach, you know, potentially a million people around yeah. the world. And it's, like, it's I'm, the, it's, actually excited. I'm about to put the Rising Appalachia video out hopefully this week so everyone can watch that. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. But yeah so, it's, it's interesting. And yeah, that balance of like knowing the importance of that real world, getting people together in person, but then also the digital realm. Like for me, it's a, it's a constant balancing act. I think so. it is a constant balancing act, a balancing act between kind of. 
uh, you know, spread and depth, right? Like, so you can you can hit a million people, but you you maybe went like an inch deep, or you can hit a, like a couple of people and go a mile deep. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and having that that impact be very deep, I think, is the is probably the best way to con- to kind of get people to start converting some of their thoughts into new thoughts and converting some of their their old habits and the things that they had learned from, you know, their their parents or whatever it is and from the system and the, and the old way of doing things mm-hmm. into the new paradigm, into the shift towards that kind of that new space that we will inhabit, right? And, yeah. and it's not to say that it won't go down without a hitch. And that's that whole concept of hitting that wall. Like, we are going to have a lot of disruption. There's going to be a lot of destruction and there's going to be a lot of problems with many 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 people whose jobs are are focused on the old world right like anybody who's working in things that are going to kind of start to die you see the resistance already right mm-hmm. and 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 I love the idea and I see the growth of um of crowdsourcing the the concept of being able to literally pull the resources from many 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 sources many 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 people and actually diffuse power uh through applications such as like uber airbnb um and it's disrupting whole industries right how many taxi drivers are fucking complaining that uber is taking all their jobs and yet it's the most democratized way of actually building an application that allows for you know, us to connect directly without having the middleman in between, right? Without yeah. having all kinds of different stuff. We were able to like sort, you have a car and you could drive me. I have an app that lets me know that, that lets you know that I need to be driven. And then you show up, I show up, the payment happens. I give a small cut to, to the, to the you know, to the person who runs the app and, and it's done. And it's mm-hmm. removing a lot of unnecessary infrastructure that we kind of got used to. And, yeah. and that's dis- disrupting. It's causing a whole bunch of people to get, you know, Uber's illegal and this, that, and the other. But I think this wave has just begun. The The whole wave of crowdfunding, crowdsourcing has now just de- begun to democratize the, the the power and actually remove it from the people who uh, who kind of were in front of the, the limelight and, and in front of the cameras before. You know, I, I, I have this saying that I was like, Somebody asked, you know, every once in a while somebody asks me, would you ever want to be famous? And I say, like, the reality is my answer is no, I don't. I don't want to be famous, um, but I do for one reason, which is famous people can move mountains. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, like, imagine, you know, Brad Pitt walked outside and he said, hey, guys, I really want to move this mountain. He would be able to get it done with the number of fans that he has. It's not even money. It's the, the amount of people who pay attention and who would love to interact with him. They would move mountains for him, right? And, and the same applies to any giant superstar. Now, the, the crazy thing is that over the last couple of decades, we've been, we've been concentrating that power into less and less people, right? It's like a, just a small, really small fringe group of people that are like movie stars, rock stars, all these all these kind of like famous type people. And what's crazy is now this this power is actually diffusing again. Now through our own social media accounts and Instagrams, there are more and more people who are becoming powerful in this sense and influencing people. And therefore, because there's so many more, we have less time to spend giving our attention to only some and some of the few. And mm-hmm. and that interesting power of like the rise of social media and then therefore the rise of also uh, crowdsourcing has been 
really, really, really interesting. And I think that to me is, is the technology that actually provides to me the most hope because I believe that crowdsourcing will now start to apply to more and more tangible things, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were able to do crowdfunding with just money, but now it's like crowdsourcing is like, well, what if I need a lawnmower? And instead of having the <laughs> farmer struggle to go and buy the lawnmower again, he can just crowdsource it. He can just find somebody to be like, hey, can you come next this week and bring your lawnmower? And it's like, oh, yeah, of course. And it's almost like your own existence is crowdsourced, right? You go into these farms. These farms are looking for somebody to come and document their stuff. You're looking for farms to document. Boom, you guys connect somehow online, most likely. You coordinate. You show up. You do the movies. They feed you and, and house you probably. And and boom, and, and that kind of connection is now happening. So I think that technology is, is drastically going to shift the reality of farmers and the people who are doing great work. Yeah, no, I feel that for sure. And, and it's, yeah. it's just a question of time. It's just a question of how do we continue to do this and how do we continue to shift culture in the meantime? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I feel it on that one. So what do you think the number one thing that somebody who, you know, watches your videos um, or, or visits your Facebook page or, or who cares about this in any way, shape or form, but who, who's listening to this right now and they're like on their way to work, right? <laughs> they're on their way to work. They have this job that they don't like um, or, you know, they're just kind of not so passionate about they're disconnected from nature, but they don't really know what to do about it. What do you think the number one thing they should do is? Hmm. Right off the top. <laughs> um, <laughs> one is, it's a small act, but I think it's a big one, is to find a local farmer who they can build a relationship with. That's one I've been really big on is, you know, find somewhere that you can go and wolf at. Or even if you have a family, like people will say like, oh, I have a family, I can't do that. It's like, I've been on farms there are plenty of times where there's like a family will come out for the day and you know, they'll help out in the garden. And just that, that simple act, it's like, one, it gets you your hands in the dirt, it gets you, you know, your hands in the soil, which in itself is one of the most healing things I think there is. Mm -hmm. um, two, it's, you know, you're directly supporting that farmer, you're building that relationship, um, which is huge. And then three, like, usually you get some food out of it too. Um, you know, that's just to me, it's like, it's one of those biggest stepping, like, stepping stones I think people can take. And then from there too, it's just like, you know, I think over time people just realize it's like the things they actually don't really need to be happy. Like maybe you don't need that new car. Maybe you don't need, you know, these, all these items that like, you know, are some, you know, the dominant society seems to make us think we need to have a happy life. And I think as soon as you just kind of start shifting the way that you see the world and the way that you interact within it, you know, you start to realize that like, yeah, a lot of these things that like are so like people think that we need to be happy. We just don't really need it. And that happiness can come from so many different areas. And, you know, with that, suddenly we're not actually maybe needing to make that, you know, 500,000 or whatever, $500,000 a year or $50,000 a year, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like a simpler life is actually pretty beautiful. And with that, you know, maybe your, your footprint goes down and all these various things, um, you know, that just kind of goes on and on and on in so many different ways. But, yeah, yeah. Small just shifts go lead to big part. waves, right? Like small yeah. ripples lead to big waves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I agree with that. Step. I agree with that. I think, you know, the, the, and I love the answer, which is like, go and connect with a farmer and like know their name, right? Like go and 
go and really meet them and understand what they're doing and go out to the farm for even a day. And I think it's kind of addictive, you know, like Valhalla working in my life because it's very addictive to actually plant a tree. It's very addictive to actually go out to a farm and actually take care of something that Mm -hmm. is kind of a little bit at your mercy and at the same time also part of this giant ecosystem and it almost doesn't even need you in a weird way. And it's just so satisfying to go out there and to learn about this and to practice. And, you know, so many people I see are just completely amazed. They're like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, oh, that's an apple tree. And they're like, really? Like, that's an apple tree? And I'm like, yep, it's just a long, young little apple tree. And it's not big yet. And it's not producing apples. But it's it's going to get there. And, and, that's, and they're like, how do you know? And it's like, well, I just can tell by the leaf at this point. Mm-hmm. And if you, if, if you would have heard, like... You would have spoken to me a couple of years ago. I would have been like, I have no idea. I have no idea what an apple tree looks like. I have no idea what the leaves look like, even though I've literally had an apple tree in my backyard my entire life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like the, the house that I live in has an apple tree in the backyard. I've known it's an apple tree, but I've never necessarily paid attention to it until I started to realize that these things were important. And mm-hmm. by participating in it, even in the smallest of ways, it it changed my my outlook on on just like how how powerful we could be and how much we can be a part of the solution even though there were one person right mm-hmm. and yeah, and i've sure. seen that it's changed the culture and the ideas of my friends too and i see them i've seen a lot of people a lot a lot of people who go off into this corporate culture and and graduate from university and i did that too i went to university and stuff but they would go out and end up in this job and they thought it was going to be really awesome and they make decent money and do all those things. And I can just, I can sense that they're unfulfilled and I can sense that they feel like whatever I'm doing is more interesting. And it's only because I'm just kind of following this passion of mine. And it's not because what they're doing isn't interesting. It's just because they feel such, they feel the lack of, of that, of that ability to like tell a story. I'm like, Hey, what have you been up to? They're like, Oh, uh, working, I guess, (laughs) you know, and drinking and going out and, seeing people and doing some fun stuff but they're not they're not so they're not so connected with that passion that comes yeah. with with farming that comes with kind of living a life of purpose i think yeah yeah it's interesting you say that like something i had come up in my like, kind of like mid 20s i go back to my hometown and i have people ask me what's up and i would get really excited and share kind of the things i've been up to and then you know, would reverse and ask like, "What do you mean up to?" And then kind of like that same answer is like, "Oh, you know, not nothing." But then like you can only you, you sense that in them. And for me, for quite a while, it closed me off to actually letting people know what I was up to, like who you know I didn't know personally really well, or who were just like kind of like old acquaintances or something. Like because that thing, like you know, I don't want to, I don't want someone to feel bad because I'm you know living this kind of unique life, and you know. But it's like, how can we then like? with that realization, how can we like empower those people and kind of shifting it being like, okay, well, I'm not just going to not share that story. I'm going to like, you know, how can we empower them to like, you know, start to live their own, like, you know, unique story as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's when it comes down to, I think is like finding ways to empower each other is like really, it's key to this whole, this whole thing. And, so. and more collaboration. Right. Yeah. I think that's the next thing is like, I see it in myself at times and my own mentality kind of creeps in is like, I'm, you know, you're doing something here with Valhalla and then you're putting it online, you're seeing the response and then you go and see somebody who's been doing it for a little bit longer and maybe has like twice the following and you're like, man, like they're getting so much more traffic and so much more whatever and we're almost seeing it as a competition mm-hmm. and it's like, 
wait a second, like, why the hell do I actually feel that way? Like, who gives a shit how many likes we have or how many whatever we, we've got going on or how much is going down? And I, I mean, I guess I still do. I guess I still understand that, like, well, it's power towards every individual project that every project has a little bit of, of more, you know, more traffic, I guess, more people and more eyeballs and more potential, you know, help and, and, and association and more shifting. But the... But the reality is that I think there's also uh, more necessity for more collaboration, right? Yeah, how, do, sure. how do these bigger blogs, how do these bigger, you know, uh, permaculture farms and how do the leaders in this kind of space come together more and more and more and more? And then how do we attract more talent and more, you know, more bodies and more people to uh, come out? And I think one of the interesting things that I've kind of, and I was having this conversation yesterday, is um, somebody asked me, what do, what makes Valhalla unique? And I said, I think we are probably one of the world's closest eco-villages to a city center. Mm. Like we're literally bordering suburbia. It's like you couldn't have been any closer. It's like suburbia ends and then we're there. And it's like, I don't know how much closer most farms get um, and farms exist close to city centers for sure. But what I'm trying to say is even like, you know, kind of these farms that are open to the public and have a kind of sustainability learning center, that kind of type farm, it's very mm. rare, right? It's not, most farms do not have this kind of infrastructure or, or aren't so outwardly focused. Um, mm-hmm. in, in, in our case, we are, but I'd love to see, I, I'd love to be beat. I'd love to be like, no, we're in the city center now. You know, mm-hmm. I'd love to see that happen. And it was interesting because we started this conversation with the idea of, you know, in the city, there's a lot more debauchery. And unless we're affecting the city and unless we're getting people out of the city and or we're in overgrowing the city in a weird way, um, you know, what, what can we do to green our cities? Like, what can we do to like change that debauchery feel that a city might bring out in people to get people more excited? And, one of my answers has been guerrilla gardening. It's like going into places you're not supposed to be planting things and supposed to be gardening and actually gardening in those spaces. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't understand why we don't have, you know, like we plant all these trees lining the roads everywhere here in Montreal, for example. And yet I'm like, why don't we just plant apple trees? Why don't we plant like fruit bearing trees? Because people would actually notice them more. Yeah. Do you know about uh, guerrilla grafting? I know a little bit about it, but you, I would love for you to explain it. Go for it. Just really briefly, grafting is where like you put like a you put like one kind of apple tree branch onto a completely different kind of apple tree. Yeah, yeah. Because it's close enough, it will start growing. Mm-hmm. But still, cities they have lots of like ornamental cherry trees or ornamental apple trees that mm-hmm. don't actually produce fruit. But mm-hmm. because they're still an apple tree, you can basically go and graft in you know a tree a branch off a fruit bearing tree. So you do that, you know, a few branches on a tree, give it a few years, that's going to be producing fruit. So suddenly you'll have these like old trees in the middle of the city that are producing fruit, which is, uh, you know, a nice little, when it comes to the gorilla side of things, I like. Um, one thing I was going to mention too, and another for like more urban, um, you know, ur- like city or even suburban uh, platforms I really like is the whole spin farming uh, idea where you basically, you know, you go through your neighborhood and you you know, ask your neighbor, it's like, hey, like, will you let me farm your front yard? If you let me do it, you'll get this much food per month. Mm. Uh, this month will go, this much will go to a farmer's market to keep me afloat. And this much will go to, say, like a local food bank. Um, there's a guy in Kelowna, um, 
does really amazing work when it comes to that. He's kind of like, to me, kind of one of the guys who's really spearheaded. I know there's other people doing it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that to me is like kind of one, because like, in one way too, like we still exist within a, you know, capitalistic system. So a lot of these things, like as much as I, you know, grit my teeth when I say it, like you need to figure out a way to make money at it too for our current reality and state, especially if you're living in an urban setting. Like if you can't figure a way to make money at what you're doing in the city, it's not going to work because life expenses in a city are just over. Like it's, it's re- surprising me <laughs> how much it costs compared to the country, but it all makes sense. But, um, yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's a really good business model too. Um, so I suggest, yeah, anyone interested in that, just search spin farming. Um, there's lots of really amazing resources out there. Yeah, there's, there's tons and, and, and there's a great Ted talk by, uh, the gorilla, you know, dubbed the gorilla gardener, Ron Finley, who, uh, I had on a, on the podcast recently. So actually, if you guys haven't heard that episode, you guys can go back a couple of episodes. Um, and Ron Finley is also doing something like that where, you know, he took, he calculated all the vacant lots in South Central LA and said, we can literally feed, you know, all of LA with all the, the amount of vacant land that we have here. Yeah. But we just need to do it, right? We just need to like actually take over the, the little strip of land between the sidewalk and the curb. Uh, and the road or whatever. We need to actually take over some of these vacant lots and start growing and start letting people know this kind of stuff. And I mm-hmm. think the number one shift that needs to happen, this needs to needs to be something that we teach in elementary schools and in high schools throughout the world. We need to teach people what it's like to grow food and we need to make people connect to the to nature right then and there. And I think alternative education schools where they're out in nature and they kind of that free range child mentality that you were mentioning earlier, we need to get, we need that to be a part of people's growing up and, and need a, a part of people's life throughout their life. Because I feel like the disconnect for me is that I only started learning this when I was like mid twenties, right? Like I only, like these are, this is, I should have been doing this years and years and years before this. And mm-hmm. not everybody grew up on a farm. You know, I grew up in the middle of suburbia and man, fuck me if I know that I'd ever done anything to, to, to kind of better the world beyond in a now, like now trying to and trying to make up for some of the crazy stuff that, um, that I didn't realize was happening. Um, and so kids are so, we're blissfully, you know, as, as kids, we were blissfully unaware. Mm-hmm. We were kind of blissfully unaware of what the consequences were when we got a new toy. And that's a great thing because I think it ruined my childhood. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's awful thing in the sense that we should be doing more to connect people. And I think, you know, anybody who's listening to this and if you're a teacher or you run something at a school, get like, do something to bring more people, you know, like Sydney, like, uh, like anybody who's doing permaculture, anybody who can teach any of this stuff. Like how is, how can we make this more tangible in the reality of of the education system, uh, I think that would make an enormous impact. That would really start to shift things, and and I really see an enormous lack in that. Do you agree? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, we're on the same page. Oh man, sometimes you think about these things and you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm trying to build a sustainability learning center so that we can have that alternative education. But I, rec- I recognize that obviously, you know, one of the best ways is that I can go into schools and get people to do it. And it mm-hmm. needs to be, and it's almost like in the same way you'd have to force a kid to, to you know, take a class. Well, just 
kind of force them to go outside and force them to go and plant the tree. And then eventually you won't have to force them to do it because they're going to want to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to go outside. They're going to want to get out, away from some of this stuff. And I think we're going to start to see the rebound and the backlash of the the kind of instant notification, mess, uh, you know, uh, generation where mm-hmm. everything is so instant. And um, ironically, plants are the are kind of the exact opposite. You plant something and you need to wait. And there's an enormous <laughs> amount of patience and humbleness that comes with something like taking care of something so delicate. And um and I think we're gonna ha- we're gonna see that rebound start to happen. I think we're gonna start to see more and more people um, face their internet addictions, face their addictions to their cell phones and their laptops, and start to realize that the one of the only things we can do for for better mental health is getting out there and gardening a little bit. Yes, we're on the same page. So. Um, where can get you know to wrap up maybe this podcast where can people get more information on how to support you where what are some of the things that people can do that you might need more hands-on or is there any roles or things that you can you'd want to see people take on to uh to enable overgrow to to be a part of a bigger and bigger influence in this in the shift and in this kind of new paradigm yeah, well, one thing we're about to launch is um, inspired by our partners at Food is Free. Um, we want to basically start, you know, just simply keeping in the Facebook realm. Um, we want to basically start groups for different regions. So we want to have like, you know, overgrow the system New York, overgrow the system San Francisco. Um, so we're basically looking for people in various kind of, you know, regions or cities or even states who want to basically run and um, admin um, groups so they can have more regional conversation happening around um, the various work that's happening, and also with that, we want to build like really intent, like really next level, um, you know, resources for various projects that are happening within these cities and states, and you know, different part, different countries even. Um, and yeah, just having like you know more localized conversation happening, so people can like you know be inspired, like wow, there's all this stuff happening in my city or my state, or you know, my province or my territory or you know, my planet. <laughs> um, <so laughs> nice. So anyone who's interested in in maybe heading one of those with me um you can email me at over.grow.system at gmail.com uh next to that anyone who may be interested in making a, a financial donation we have a thing called patreon which is it's pretty cool instead of a you know a kickstarter where we raise a lump sum of money we get people to come on and become monthly patrons of donations from anywhere from three to fifteen to even fifty dollars whatever they you know they're able to um, and that just kind of is a monthly money that comes in that allows, you know, helps keep us afloat, pays for our web hosting, um, puts some food on the plate every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yeah. allows you to keep doing this and allows you to keep telling the story. Oh, sorry. What was that? I was just saying it allows you to keep doing it and keep telling the story and keep kind of going out there and inspiring more people to get, get at their work, you know, get outside and go to the farm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, besides that one last thing we're, we're starting to do that I'm really excited for is, uh, we're just right now reaching out to different education centers um, that are already running, say, like really good organized permaculture courses year-round or various like reskilling workshops and, and stuff like that. And we basically want to collaborate with them on having like, you know, basically like co-presented courses that overgrow the system as part of and we'll come in and, and like, you know, I'll, I'll present some talks as well and we'll like kind of create a curriculum for the course together. And, you know, use our reach in the media to kind of help promote it. And so we can, you know, we have people around the world watching what we're doing. So if we can get them out and taking part in courses in, you know, various places around the world, um, that's something I'm really inspired by 
to start kind of up in the next year or so. Mm. Um, so yeah, again, with the hands-on, getting more hands-on education, real-world action. Nice. Um, yeah, and besides that, one last thing I just wanted to say is, uh, you know, wherever you're at, I think people should really, you know, look into the local indigenous, um, you know, struggles that are happening right now. I'm really inspired in BC. We have the Eunice Doting Camp is one of many, many things that are happening right now. Um, and just find ways, yeah, to support and work with your local indigenous people. Um, you know, they've been I mean, in this fortunate. mindset for years. Yeah, they've been in this mindset, for, but they're also, you know, they're really struggling with having a lot of crazy stuff happen. Like, you know, there's the whole pipeline through BC and yeah. a lot of resistance is happening to that right now. And yeah, yeah. there's just like, there's a lot of amazing, one is just like teachings and, you know, ways to be in the world that we can learn. Um, and also just, yeah, learning how to show up and be a true ally is really important in today's time. So, you know, I, I just highly suggest that anyone tries to find a way to, you know, in some way be in service to the, the local indigenous people. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We definitely need to stand in solidarity with them. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So anything, guys, anything that was mentioned are all in the show notes below or the links below. Uh, you can also visit uh, the Collective Evolution website and click the podcast tab. You sh should be able to find all the show notes if you're watching this on the go or on SoundCloud or whatever it might be. And uh, thank you, Sydney, for just continuing to do the work that you do, continuing to put out all the great content and inspire people to kind of be a part of it themselves. And guys, no matter what skill you do, no matter what skill you have, there are people out there in this kind of movement and in the in the kind of the new the new story style uh, movement that need your help. And so, even the slightest way that you can contribute even by running a group or being an admin or just talking about it and sharing and clicking and liking, and commenting, subscribing, all that stuff actually helps. I mean, it sounds crazy, but being an armchair activist actually is a very important role nonetheless. Um, because <laughs> if you don't, if we don't get your likes and your comments, we don't know, number one, that we're resonating with you. Number two, we, uh, we have a harder time reaching more people. And if the goal is to shift culture, then we need this kind of stuff to have more likes than some of the you know crazy things that are on like uh tmz or whatever the hell it is right we don't need we don't need more of that we don't need to see more of those things we would love to see more of this kind of stuff so every time you can click that like button because it's an enormous help and that being said click comment like subscribe on this podcast let us know if you have any questions for us so if you have any questions leave them in the comments below for sydney and i and we'll we'll try and communicate to make sure that we answer them and if we don't, like you said, you, you know, you can reach out via email or you can always find us on Facebook and stuff, write us messages. We will make sure to try our best to kind of answer some of your questions and, and you know, steer you guys in the right direction, depending on what they are. So um, like, comment, subscribe, and don't forget to rate this podcast because it's also very, very important. It helps us, you know, reach more people. So, uh, yeah, have a good one, guys. And, and until then, keep on inspiring. Come on, thanks for having me on.